This is Benji Wilde, everyone, all the way from Australia. Right. Oh, guys. Okay, okay, great to see everyone. G'day, kids. It's me, Benji. Oh, this is wild, right here in the church building. <laughs> oh, thanks for mentioning that, Jason. Where'd he go, Jason? Over there with his family. Yeah, I've been all over the world, so sometimes my accent gets a little bit Scottish. <laughs> but usually it stays right from down under. Well, listen, kids, today I want to read you one of my favorite Bible stories, okay? It's a story from Christmas. Okay, this is the story of the king of all kings, the story of the three wise men from Matthew 2. Okay, here we go. Far away in the east, three clever men saw the very same star, the star that God had put in the sky when Jesus was born. They knew it was a sign. A baby king had been born. They had been waiting for this star. They knew it would come. He's here, they shouted. He's here. And I'm sure if you'd been there, you would have heard them laughing and dancing and singing until the sun came up. At dawn, they packed up their camels. Oh, camels. I love camels. Oh, blimey. You know about camels? Did you know that camels have two different sets of eyelashes? Yeah, it's to help to keep the dust out of their eyes, right? So they got, they got, we only have like eyelids, they got more eyelids and they got two rows of eyelashes. That's crazy. (laughs) Wild. Where were we? Okay. Oh yeah, at dawn, they they packed up their camels. Oh, I love a good camel. And they wrapped gifts for the baby. They brought their most precious treasures of all, frankincense, gold, and myrrh. Special, sparkly, lovely smelling, gleaming things just right for a king. The three wise men, actually, if you'd met them, you'd have thought they were kings because they were so rich and clever and important looking. They set off. They rode their camels. <laughs> they rode their camels across endless deserts. Did you know that camels, uh, they, when there's a sandstorm, they can close their nostrils? Did you know that? They can close them right up so, so they don't get sand in their nose. Can you close your nostrils? Try it. I can't, I can't close mine. Try it, try it again, please. Come on, especially if you're over the, over the age of 20. Try, I can't, yeah, with your finger. That's a great call. You could do it with your finger. They can just close them right up. Did you also know when they're crossing the endless deserts that if they wanted to take a break, that camels have, I mean, I'm getting really distracted by the camels here. I'm sorry, Chris. They, they have like a thicker skin on their chest and on their knees so that when they lie down on the hot sand, they don't get hurt. <laughs> Wild, okay. Right, okay, they went up steep, steep mountains down into deep, deep valleys, through raging rivers, across grassy plains, night and day, day and night, for hours that turned into days, that turned into weeks, that turned into months and months until at last they reached Jerusalem. Jerusalem was by far the most important city for miles around. And as anyone can tell you, that's where a palace would be. And kings are born in palaces. So that's where they went. But they were in for a surprise. They went to see King Herod. Surely he'd know where this baby was, but he didn't. In fact, he didn't like the sound of a new king. It made him cross. You know that word cross? I think it means angry. It made him angry, cross. He didn't want anyone to be king except him. But Herod's advisors, okay, he's got some advisors. <laughs> nice. He t- Herod's advisors told the three wise men what was written in their books, what God had said about the baby king. Go to Bethlehem, they said. That's where you'll find him. Suddenly, the star they had seen in the east started moving again, showing them the way. 
So the three wise men followed the star out of the big city along the road into the little town of Bethlehem. They followed the star through the streets of Bethlehem, out of the nice part of town, through the not so nice part of town, into the really not so nice at all part of town, down a little dirt track until it stopped right over a little house. But wait, it wasn't a palace and there weren't any guards or servants or flags or red carpets or trumpets or anything. Did they get it wrong? Or was this what God meant? Sure enough, in that little house, there sitting on his mother's knee, they found him, the baby king. The three men knelt before the little king. They took off their rich royal turbans and gleaming golden crowns. They bowed their noble heads to the ground and gave him their sparkling treasures. The journey that had begun so many centuries before had led three wise men here to a little town, to a little house, to a little child. To the king, God had promised David all those years before. But this child was a new kind of king. Though he was the prince of heaven, he had become poor. Though he was the mighty God, he had become a helpless baby. And this king hadn't come to be the boss. He'd come to be a servant. Okay, kids, there you go. Why don't we welcome Jaden up? Oh, Jaden, I love you. Good to see you, mate. Can we give it up for Benji Wild one more time? Oh, thanks, kids. You're too kind. Thanks for all the facts about camels, man. It's like listening to an Australian David Attenborough. It was amazing. Oh. It was so, it was so helpful. Uh, today, we're looking at Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. And uh, I want to talk about a toddler who created an incredible disturbance. Now, parents in the room, you probably don't want to hear another story about a toddler creating a disturbance. You're like, okay, dude, join our car ride to church and we'll show you a toddler creating a disturbance. And the chances are we're probably going to be disturbed by a few toddlers during the service, but it's a welcome disturbance. Um, I want to talk, talk about a toddler that created a very, very unique disturbance. It was a disturbance that caused, it was such a great disturbance that it caused a great king incredible fear. It was a disturbance so large that it caused men to travel hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of miles just to get a glimpse of it. And it was a disturbance so large that it's still disturbing hearts today. I wanna talk about the toddler Jesus coming on the scene and creating a disturbance of cosmic proportions. And today, looking at Matthew chapter two, verses one to 12, I wanna zoom in on three groups and how they responded to the disturbance of Jesus. I want to look at first, King Herod, second, the priests, priests and teachers of the law, which Benji called the advisors in the Jesus Storybook Bible, and I want to look at the magi, or wise men if you prefer. And I want to ask this question. I want to ask, how did they view the news of Jesus' arrival? How did they view the news of Jesus' arrival? And perhaps we'll find ourselves in some of the answers to those questions. Now, I'm gonna talk about these three groups and after each group, our friend Benji Wild's gonna come up and he kindly offered his translation services uh, for kids under the age of 10. So he'll come up after every point. So kids, you can look forward to Benji Wild coming up every five minutes or so. And to be honest, I'm just gonna rush through it because I just wanna hear you talk more, to be honest, Benji, I really do, I really do. Okay, let's start with Herod. The text tells us that Herod initially felt disturbed and if we fast forward in the story, we see that that disturbance, that feeling of disturbance grew into him wanting to get rid of Jesus. 
Now, as harsh as this response is, um, it's not unusual. It's not an unusual response, and it's not unusual for a few reasons. First, Herod at this point is the king of the Jews. He was appointed by the Roman government to oversee Judea, and he would have referred to himself as the king of the Jews. And so to hear that there's this other king of the Jews who is steeped in historical prophecy, who has a star directing people to himself in a conquer or be conquered world, that is very disturbing news for Herod. So of course he responds the way that he does. And on top of that, Herod had invested so much into the kingdom of Judea. It wasn't just like this kind of kingdom that he had inherited. In fact, scholars would have called Herod the great builder. He was known for building palaces and theaters and fortresses and cities and temples. He had invested so much into Judea. So it would have felt like he had to protect this kingdom himself because it would have felt like his very own kingdom. And to add to all of it, Herod was just a really paranoid king in general. He was infamously known for taking out everyone who was a threat to his throne, including members of his own family. So of course, of course he wanted to get rid of this king of the Jews. Because his kingdom, his reign, his rule, it was being threatened. See, for Herod, this news about Jesus was bad news for his kingdom. This news about Jesus, it was bad news for his kingdom. You know, if you go to um, Jerusalem today, you can see a part of a temple that Herod was a part of building. It was called the Second Temple, uh, and it was destroyed in 70 BC, and there's only like one wall that's remaining of this temple. It's called the Western Wall. And today, Jewish people still go to that wall, and they weep because of the destruction of the temple. And uh, it's literally, it's popularly known as the Weeping Wall. And that wall is literally a physical monument of Herod's kingdom, which has gone by. It's a physical monument of a kingdom that's no longer here. See, the truth is, bad news, it comes for every single kingdom at some point. Bad news comes for every kingdom at some point. Bad news comes for the reign of every single ruler, every single queen, every single king. There is a start and there is an end date for every single kingdom. But there is only one kingdom that will last. And it's not the kingdom. It's not the kingdom that Herod was building. In fact, it's the kingdom that the very temple that he built was pointing towards. And it's the kingdom that was being ushered in by the toddler Jesus. And it's not a physical kingdom, but a spiritual one. And it's ruled by a very good king, a better king than Herod, a perfect king. And he's not an oppressor, he's a liberator. He's come to bring joy to those who were burdened, hope to those who were despairing, peace to those who were distressed, justice to those who were oppressed. And this kingdom was breaking into the present moment and all were welcome in. See, if only Herod knew that bad news for his kingdom was actually very good news for his life. Very good news for his life. If only Herod knew that he could have been a part of an ever lasting kingdom. And see, what, it, what is true for Herod is true for you and I as well. The little empire that we can build with our lives, if it's divorced from Christ, it will not last. It has an end date. Moths and rust will get to it. But if we're willing to vacate the throne of our lives, if we're willing to put down our crowns, if we're willing to allow Jesus to occupy the throne of our lives, we can be a part of an everlasting kingdom and it turns out that that kingdom actually brings all of what our hearts long for 
Anyways, if only Herod knew that bad news for his kingdom was actually very good news for his life. And oh, that we would know that bad news for our little empires, our little kingdoms, our little thrones is actually very good news for our life. Benji, come on up. Can we welcome Benji? Thanks. Thanks, Jaden. No problem. I really like this idea that, okay, so Herod, he's upset because he wants to be king. And he, so he thinks it's bad news, but actually it's good news because Jesus is the best king ever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. So Jesus is a better king than Herod. And he could have he had Jesus as his king. Oh, that's the way I want to be. Yeah, that's great. Okay. Thanks, Benji. <laughs> Okay, now next we have um, the chief priests and the teachers of the law. Again, the Jesus Storybook Bible referred to them as, as advisors. And this was the group of people that Herod would have consulted, that Herod did consult, sorry, to try and get all the right facts about this king of the Jews. Uh, and this was an especially religious group. The whole of their lives revolved around Judaism. They spent hours upon hours upon hours in the synagogues and in the temples. They were tasked with knowing, protecting, and passing down God's word. They would have facilitated worship at the temple. They were the pastors and the preachers of the day. And they would have memorized hundreds, literally hundreds of prophecies about this coming Messiah, this King of the Jews who would rise up out of the line of David and come up out of Bethlehem. So it was easy for them to answer Herod's question about where this king of the Jews was coming from. And just to be extra sure, Herod made sure, the text says that he actually got all of the advisors, all of the chief priests and teachers of the law, he gathered all of them in Jerusalem just to make sure that he got the answer right. And so they answer him, and they answer him confidently, Bethlehem of Judea, just like the prophet Micah said. But there's a sad irony as the story continues. They gather, they hear the news from Herod, and they tell him where he ought to go but not a single one of them goes with. Not a single one. All of the chief priests and teachers of the law are gathered in one place, and not a single one goes to Jesus. Um, I don't know what, what Christmas looks like at your guys' home, but when I'm, uh, when I'm home, there's nativity scenes everywhere. Um, it's literally getting a bit out of hand. My mom has an addiction and we're worried about her. Um, I'm just kidding, mom, she's watching this. Shoot, don't ground me. Um, but uh, nativity scenes are everywhere. And uh, so there's the little Jesus figurine and there's Mary and Joseph and animals. And, and then there's the wise men who we're gonna learn, they, they go to Jesus. And uh, some people, they get really like, really specific about it. And they put the wise men elsewhere in the house because they actually wouldn't have been there for the birth of Jesus. They would have just been there about two years later as the story says. Um, and so, you know, wise men are like on the fridge or in the cupboards and you can find them everywhere. Um, but there's a reason why there's no chief priests and teachers of the law right beside the wise men in every single nativity scene. There's a reason why there's no figurines made of these advisors who consulted Herod. And it's because they never went. They knew hundreds of prophecies about where this Messiah would come from and they never went. And I wonder, as I was reading the text, I wondered to myself, like, what did they do with the rest of their day? Did they go to the synagogues to teach? Did they go to the temple to worship? Did they spend time poring over the scriptures? And I think to myself, man, all of that, all of that, 
all of it is pointing to Jesus and he was nine kilometers away and they never went. And so there's a caution embedded in the lack of going from the chief priests and the teachers of the law. And the caution is this, is that religion is not meant to be an end in and of itself. Is that we can know all the forms and all the facts, but if it doesn't bring us to the feet of the living God, then it's all for naught. It all leads to Jesus. And so no guilt and no shame, but just a reminder to us that services aren't an end in and of themselves. Reading your, your Bible isn't an end in and of itself, even though it's a good thing. Worshiping isn't an end even of itself. It's ultimately led to lead us to the person of Jesus. All the forms, all the facts, they're not meant to create from a distance students, but up close disciples who are intimately and personally related to Jesus. Okay, Benji, come on out. Okay, so <laughs> I like this, Jaden. You're saying that even though they went to church, like synagogue a lot, they, went to the, they were really religious people, they actually didn't want to go see Jesus. Man, that's such a shame. <laughs> it would have been so fun to be there. And they could have been in your mom's nativity scenes. Hey, hey, Jane's mom, where's she over there? What's her name? Cynthia. Hi, Cynthia. I'm Benji, Benji Wild. <laughs> I, I was thinking... There's lots of things that distract us sometimes from going to Jesus. You know, I like going to church and stuff, but sometimes I'll get distracted by when someone starts talking about, I don't know, camels or something. And I think, no, I've got, I wanna get to Jesus myself. I don't wanna be like those priests and advisors. I wanna be like the wise men, even if it takes a long time to get there. Okay, great stuff, Jaden. Thanks, Benji. Thanks, Benji. Okay, finally, we have the Magi or the wise men. And uh, they are the group in this story who actually sees the news of Jesus' arrival as very good news. Um, good enough news to travel literally, like it would have been over a thousand kilometers likely for them to get to Jesus. Um, and I think if the Magi knew the full story, I think if they knew exactly what was actually gonna unfold through this child, I think they would have traveled a thousand kilometers over and over and over again. Now, there's a lot that's said about this group, and there's been a lot that's been said in churches and throughout history, but we actually, we don't know a ton about them. We don't know that they were kings, though some people think they were. We don't even know exactly how many there were, even though we think that there was three. We don't know their names. But there are a few things that we do know about them, and I want to talk about two of them. First, verse 1 says that they were from the east, which means that they were Gentiles or non-Jewish people. And two, it says that they had come to worship Jesus. Now, in ancient Jewish culture, Gentiles were viewed as second-rate citizens. There were derogatory names of plenty that were given to the Gentile people. They were highly mistreated, and they were the victims of incredible racism in that culture. And the worship experience of the Gentile in that time, it would have been reflective of that very, very low view. And so for Gentiles to come to Jerusalem to worship, like the Magi were coming, it would have meant a few things. They would have gone to the temple, and when they went to the temple, they were only allowed to go so far in. There were like layers and layers and layers. And there were more and more groups that were excluded in the temple as you went further and further in. And the Gentiles were a part of one of the groups that weren't allowed to go past that first layer. There was literally a wall and there was a sign on that wall that said, for Gentiles, do not go any further or there'll be massive, massive, massive consequences for your life. 
Now, we all know what it's like to be excluded. We've like be, been excluded at some points in our life. We all create in, in and ins and out groups, and we have been on the outside of certain groups, whether it's because of our personality or our age, our experience, or our race. Now, imagine that your religion, the very thing so core to who you are, how you worship, imagine that around all of that, there were restrictions and limitations and red tape, all of which pointed to your own inferiority and your own unworthiness. See, this was the Gentiles' experience with worship in the Jewish temple. And many would have felt excluded, not just by a system, but by God himself. And that's not what God is like. That's not his heart at all. And the story of the Magi, it shows us that. It shows us these Gentile pagans who would have been labeled second rate, who would have been labeled unfit and unworthy, who would have felt excluded from God. They are the ones who are brought to the white hot core of the incarnation story. They are the ones, not the chief priests, not the teachers of the law, not the Pharisees, not the scribes. They are the ones who welcome the living God to planet earth. They are the ones who follow the star to Jesus, who have the door opened by Mary, and who end up at the feet of Jesus. They are the ones, Gentile pagans. What is God trying to communicate to people? All are welcome. There are categories that we create, and they are not categories that God creates. And this is what Matthew was trying to do when he wrote this gospel. And he's been doing it from the very beginning. Chris preached on the genealogy a number of weeks ago. And there was, there was details and people that were included in this genealogy that would have never been included. Because Matthew's trying to make a point about the family of God, and he's trying to make a point about how God relates to people. That regardless of race, regardless of gender, regardless of past, all people are welcomed in through Jesus. They need only come to him. And some of us in this room, and some of us watching online, we literally have a list of things that we think actually exclude us from God. We think that if he was to see a full view of our lives, he would never open the door because of reason X, reason Y, or reason Z. And I just wanna say, Jesus is nothing like the God that you have made up in your mind. He is a God who is so willing to stoop low. He's a God so willing to draw near, and the Christmas story, it proves that to us. That he's willing to wrap himself in human flesh, be born to a poor family, not to be born in Jerusalem, which was the most beautiful and powerful place at the time, but to be born in Bethlehem. And he comes to us, and it's very, very good news. All are welcome. All are welcome through Jesus. See, Herod, Herod thought it was very bad news, but it wasn't. The chief priests and the teachers of the law, they thought it was unimportant news, but it wasn't. It turns out it's actually very good news. Now, Daryl Johnson's not here, but if I was to preach this like Daryl Johnson, I would say it's very good news. 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 Jesus has arrived on planet Earth, and everyone is welcome. It's very good news. Okay, Benji, come and close us. <laughs> oh, I don't know what I can say after that, Jaden. It's very good news, right? <laughs> okay, hey, such good news. I like when you said God's not like that. God likes having everyone come. I like that.